It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. It is October 27th. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons like Jenny and Sean, Rhonda, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace, Lisbeth, JF, Leslie, Nothanos, and Lisa as well. Uh, thanks so much for the support. Couldn't do the show without you. They became patrons. You can as well. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com and click on the link at the top of the screen. Or you can check out the links in the description of the podcast. So by a vote of 52 to 48... The U.S. Senate yesterday approved Amy Coney Barrett as the next Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi went on to MSNBC and uh, made it very clear, as a lot of Democrats did in the wake of the vote, uh, that they intend to change the rules so they can stay in power in perpetuity if they are elected into power next week. All of what you said is broadly in line with the way that I, I view things right now in terms of the, the, the state the country's in and their decisions. But if all that said, you know, checks and balances can be reasserted. I, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln expanded the size of the court. FDR famously attempted to when the New Deal was sort of breaking mm-hmm. on the shoals of that conservative court until it sort of changed its jurisprudence. Are you, as the Speaker of the House, are you open to efforts to do that in the future. Well, I think that Joe Biden has given us a good path. He's going to have something that people can understand why this is important. And I like what something that Brian said about not just the Supreme Court, but the other courts. It was a hundred. Well, in 1879, in 1876, there were nine justices on the court. Our population has grown enormously since then. Should we expand the court? Well, let's take a look and see. Right. But not, and that relates to the nine uh, district courts. Maybe we need more district courts as well. And one other thing we need, we need for these justices to disclose their holdings. Why should all the rest of us have to disclose our holdings? And that is appropriate, but not if you're a justice of the Supreme Court. They're in this ivory tower. And again, uh, one branch of of government appointing the other branch of government with the acquiescence, not only acquiescence, uh, the, the bully 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 actions of the Senate of the United States. It's appalling. All right. I I don't know what she was talking about at the at the end there, but um, two things that she mentions here that I think are. uh, Well, here you go. You know that these are dishonest and sort of terrifying uh, because you know that she would not be recommending this if uh, we were at the beginning of Donald Trump's second term. I just so uh, just to be clear. All the court packers that are out there, all the people that are now like, we need to pack the courts. Now, they don't like to say that word because it sounds uh, negative, court packing, right? It sounds negative. So then they're using these terms, uh, court expansion. We're going to look at expanding the court. They're talking about court packing. This was the term that was used, and uh, Chris Hayes, the host of MSNBC right there, all in with Chris Hayes, uh, he mentioned the FDR era. That's where the term came from, because FDR uh, was uh, getting resistance from the Supreme Court that refused to sign off on the constitutionality of his New Deal programs. They said, you don't have the authority to do this under the Constitution. 
And so he threatened to pack the courts. He said, I'm going to grow the Supreme Court and I'm going to put as many justices on there as I need in order to get my way. And so the Supreme Court caved, or as Chris Hayes calls it, uh, what do you say, change their jurisprudence? <laughs> yeah, they, they caved. They, they, were, they were being extorted. And that's why they did that. That was FDR. And so now Democrats, just like their predecessor FDR, they are attempting once again to do this because they're not getting their way on the courts, right? Um, I should note also the second point here uh, that the size of the court is not dependent on the population. That's completely irrelevant. The number of American citizens is almost completely irrelevant to the number of justices on the court. That's like saying we, we need more than one president because of population growth. <laughs> right, the population growth. If you, if anything, you want to make arguments about the size of the House of Representatives. Okay, if like if you want to have that argument, okay, but the size of the Supreme Court, no, that's the whole point. She says, oh, they're in their ivory towers. Like that's kind of the point of the court. It's supposed to be insulated from the kind of political machinations and influence. That's the reason. So uh, this idea that the court packers have, they want to look at expanding uh, not just now the Supreme Court, but also the district courts. Here's how you know it's a dishonest and dangerous idea. They would not be promoting this idea if Trump had just won re-election. Fast forward in a week or two, if we know the outcome, and if Trump wins re-election, do you think these court packers are going to be cool with, with, with expanding the court? No, of course not. That they're saying it now because they're trying to, as I've said before, a couple of different times in different ways, there's, there are only a few number of reasons why this could be um, a line of attack uh, or a pitch that Democrats are making, right? Number one is that they think their base needs to hear it, and so they're saying it because their base needs to hear it. For whatever reason, they need to stay agitated, motivated, or the Democrats feel like they need to say it in order to keep their base uh, supporting the Democrats. And I've seen some of that, too. People are like, if Chuck Schumer doesn't do this, he's done. Like, you guys better do this. So the Democrats have to pay this kind of lip service to this idea, even though the idea was opposed by many of these Democrats for a very long time, Joe Biden chief among them. But they frame it all in this, you know, checks and balances kind of rhetoric. And that's just absurd. The, expanding the court does not provide checks and balances. Unlike, for example, really good yard equipment does provide a check on encroaching vegetation and such. Uh, you need a new uh, weed whacker, uh, you know, trimmer or a mower, or how about some chainsaws, some leaf blowers? Uh, maybe you're a professional uh, landscaper, you do yard work, you need a riding mower or stand on mower. All of these needs can be met at the Husqvarna Fall Sale. It is at General Equipment Rental now through October 31st, so time is running out. Go to GeneralRents.com, check out the inventory, and you can also get pre-qualified for 0% APR for 48 months. You can also learn about commercial fleet discounts there. General Equipment Rental, it's in Weaverville. It's at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. It's family-owned and operated. has been for three generations. They've got all of the tools that you could possibly need for any project that you are doing. Any kind of job you need uh, done with a specific tool, they'll hook you up. General Equipment Rental, your source for all your equipment needs, whatever the project. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So there are 13 federal district courts right now, 13 districts. And so, uh, right, and there are nine Supreme Court seats. 
So what the Democrats are pitching here is take the number of seats on the Supreme Court to 13. See, if we add four seats after we win, then it's just simply matching the number of districts. That's all. I doubt they're going to have this idea if they lose. Or how about this? How about if they... um, How about if they lose the presidency but win the Senate and the House? Do you think they're going to be on board with this idea then? Why is it that the people who constantly need to change the rules are cast in this uh, this light, this media narrative, as the ones trying to restore balance? Wouldn't it be the people who are following the rules? And by the way, the Republicans have followed the rules on all of this. I know that a lot of Democrats don't believe this to be so. They think that for some reason or another that there is a rule that you're not supposed to nominate and appoint a Supreme Court justice in the last year of a president's first term. There is no such law. There's no such rule. And I'm you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that some Republicans were not explicit by adding on the second part of that you know, the gentleman's agreement, which was you don't do this if you have a divided Senate from White House, if you've got a Senate controlled by one party and a White House controlled by another. Like, that's generally what they didn't do. Now, why think this through, folks. Why didn't they do that? Why was that the gentleman's agreement, right? Because the Senate, if it's controlled by the other party, their role is to advise and consent or not. Right. They can vote no. And so what they said was, hey, Obama, you're putting up Merrick Garland. We're not going to consent to this guy. So you better just not even run him. We're not even going to do hearings. So there's no point in us going through any of this because we're not going to consent. So just don't even bother. That's now now you can oppose that and say, well, they should have had hearings. Okay, and then what? Voted him down, put him through all of that and then vote him down anyway. That's what you're saying should have occurred. Or are you saying that the Senate, even when controlled by the opposite party, still is required to consent to whatever nominee the president puts forward? Because I doubt that's the standard you're articulating for yourselves, right? You guys, you guys have torpedoed way more justices or potential justices, I should say, nominees than the right ever has. In fact, I've got audio from Congressman Chip Roy out of Texas, and I'll play that in a bit. He goes through pretty enlightening history. Um, also, so you've got 13 district courts. Democrats cover their intent here to uh, to pack the court by saying this is all legitimate, that this is a non-political reason to expand the court. See, it's just, you know, 13 districts. This would just harmonize the number of Supreme Court seats with the number of districts, right? Yet... What does Pelosi say in that soundbite? She says, we're going to expand the number of districts, too. So what? Now you're going to go from 13 to, what, 25 districts, 50 districts? You're going to have a Supreme Court of, like, 50 justices? This is nuts. Democratic Socialist Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she sent out a tweet after the confirmation vote, quote, expand the court. She might as well just say court packing. Although... I do appreciate the fact that they've now shifted the language on this a little bit for one reason, because a lot of people who don't remember fifth grade civics, uh, they don't remember what court packing is. They don't. So people think court packing just means approving justices because that's how corrupted the language gets when Democrats uh, needed to be corrupted, uh, which is what they've been doing. They've been saying that the Republicans have been packing the court with Republicans. Okay, well, that's not court packing. Court packing means you expand the number of seats in order to stuff more people in them. 
but you want to expand the courts now. That's what you're saying. So at least it may clear up some of the confusion that uh, people who aren't aware of what court packing means, at least now it will give them some uh, better idea, I should say. Republicans, she says, Republicans do this because they don't believe Democrats have the stones to play hardball like they do. And for a long time, they've been correct. I love this this narrative that Democrats don't play hardball, that Democrats don't fight as ruthlessly and dirty as the Republicans do. Republicans think the same thing of Democrats, by the way. She says, do not let them bully the public into thinking their bulldozing is normal, uh, but a response isn't. There is a legal process for expansion. Okay, so straight up saying it's going to be vengeance. This is straight up vengeance. They think that seat is theirs. They think that court is theirs. They demand to control the U.S. Supreme Court. That's the demand. And if you refuse their demand, they will blow up the system. They are suicide bombers, right? This is what Ben Sass called it. It's a suicide bombing tactic along with getting rid of the filibuster, which is, by the way, what her uh, squad mate, Ilan Omar, said when she agreed, saying expand the court. Remember, Republicans have lost six of the last seven popular votes. That doesn't matter, Congresswoman Omar. The presidency is not uh, elected by popular vote. I'm sorry if you want it to be the case. That is not the case. See what I mean? These are the rules that we have in place. And... When they don't win by the rules that are in place, they say blow up all the rules so we can win. This is their argument, and it's their argument every time. It is so annoying. Um, they are. This is. These are the tantrums of the participation trophy generation. That's what we're witnessing here. Although I got to say, it's probably not just strictly this generation. <laughs> it's been going on for a while. Um, she says that they've, you know, they've lost six of the last seven popular votes, but have appointed six of the last nine justices. By expanding the court, we fix this broken system and have the court better represent the values of the American people. This is interesting. Why is the system broken just because Ruth Bader Ginsburg died when she did? Ruth Bader Ginsburg could have retired. And the pressure was on her to retire. See, Democrats don't want to talk about this now because she's dead and, you know, uh, notorious RBG, we love her. But all of that stuff started at it, when Obama was president. All of the the sainthood treatment that Ginsburg was getting, that began in Obama's tenure. Why? They were afraid she was not going to survive throughout uh, through the next election, right? So they were they were just showering her with accolades and praise and uh you know trying to convince her to resign while she still had, you know, her health or what of it. And she did. I mean, she lived for another, what, six years or so after. But um, th this was, an, there was an overt effort to get her to resign. People started talking about it. In fact, I recall at one point she came out and said she has no intention of retiring or resigning anytime soon because they had all these rumors and this, you know, pressure campaign had gotten back to her. So if she had resigned, then Obama would have had the pick. That's how that would have happened. So the fact that she refused to resign, she refused to retire, that's why Trump got the third pick and because she died. I'm sorry she died before the election. Um, and then the other ones, like Kennedy was a retirement, right? And Scalia passed away. So you know, I'm sorry that's how the, the cards fell, but that is how they fell. So I, I want to go back to one point here about AOC's 
comments about this being um, hardball, that the Democrats need to play hardball by blowing up the system, changing all of the rules. Um, and we need to do this because, you know, they play hardball and we don't. Okay. We don't. Christopher Scalia, son of the late Antonin Scalia, said, yeah, accusing a man of gang rape is softball, I guess, right? Another nominee of sexual harassment. That's just wiffle ball. Having everybody vote against and stoking irrational fears about highly qualified nominees. That's just hacky sack circles. Charges of racism, tiddlywinks, Bush era filibusters, flag football, folks. Like this idea that Democrats have not been behaving the way they've been behaving for the last 20 something years, 30 years now with these picks, it's just dishonest or you're ignorant. You're 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 either ignorant or you think I am. And so you're dishonestly trying to tell me that Democrats have been playing all of this above board. Again, the reason why this has happened, you can thank Harry Reid. He's the one who got rid of the filibuster and Republicans told him you will rue the day. And here it is. This is that day. Now, maybe this is that day for you to buy a mattress, which then I would say go to Mattress Man or go to the website mattressmanstores.com so you do not rue the day that you did not. Okay, I got my mattress from Mattress Man uh, about eight years ago. Kristen and I love it. It's a king-size memory foam. You can get one, too. You can get uh, an inner spring, a pillow top, natural latex mattresses as well. They have adjustable bases. Um, They're locally owned and operated. They have four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide. Um, They have five-star local white glove delivery service. You can get a mattress for zero down, zero APR for 24 months, so no interest, and no payments for 90 days. It's the triple zero deal. Also, if you would prefer, you can pick up that mattress yourself if you're the kind of person that's like, I'm going to get my own mattress. You can do that too. Head on over to their uh, warehouse and uh, it's the grab and go deal. Pick up one of the mattresses of your choice right there, throw it in the truck and away you go. All right. They've got an incredible amount of inventory. A lot of other shops have been experiencing uh, shortages because of the pandemic, interruptions in the uh, manufacturing and uh, distribution lines and such. Not Mattress Man. All the inventory is there. Check out the website, mattressmanstores.com, and experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. Laura Bassett, who is a politics writer, uh, does work or is published in GQ magazine, Washington Post, Rolling Stone, Huffington Post. She echoes the calls of uh, Ilan Omar and AOC. She says, abolish the filibuster, expand the court, abolish the electoral college. Like th- These are the people that are pushing from the left, right? These are the people that are pushing the Democratic Party to adopt these as norms. This would be their norm to get rid of the filibuster completely, expand the court, and abolish the Electoral College. What exactly are they saying that they're going to do here, right? It's to rule. That's what they're outlining. This is the plan to rule. We're going to get rid of the Electoral College. Why? So this way, our popular vote, where we usually win, we can win the presidency now. And then once we have the presidency, we get rid of the filibuster. So this way, we don't care if you win the Senate anymore. We don't have to worry about changing the Constitution and redoing the makeup of the Senate and how those offices are elected. We don't have to uh, repeal any amendments or anything like that. So we can ignore the Senate at that point, And then we just stuff the court with way more progressives. And then they can legislate for us. We don't even have to win the legislative body any longer. 
That's what they're describing here. Democrats are the ones who killed the filibuster on the judges. Democrats are the ones who started this practice of smearing and destroying judicial nominees. They're the ones who did that. As I said, it's been going on for three decades, my entire adult life. Republicans do not do this to Democratic candidates or nominees, I should say. They don't they don't reciprocate these kinds of grotesque attacks. God help you. God help us all when the day comes when they do. Right? Them using the rules is not playing hardball. It's not uh, destroying the norms. You destroying the norms would be destroying the norms. Dan McLaughlin at National Review, he said, elections of consequences. If the Democrats want to retaliate in kind, that is entirely legitimate. Yeah. If Democrats want to continue following rules and use the rules in order to get as many judges of their choice, you know, on the bench throughout uh, on various benches throughout America, they're free to do so. And that would be completely legitimate. I agree. But blowing up the Supreme Court to take a step Joe Biden had described as a corrupt power grab, which was rejected in 1937 as a threat to a free people. That is not an in-kind response. That is not a proportionate response to the actions that the Republicans have taken, which once again are completely legal following the rules and the norms. Here is Representative Chip Roy. He's a congressman from Texas, and uh, he knows firsthand about these nominees and the process that they go through. I was a lawyer on the Senate Judiciary Committee in 2003. I had the great honor and privilege of serving Senator John Cornyn. I spent five years as a lawyer on that committee, working on a host of issues. One of the issues I worked on were nominations. Now, you might be asking, who are these two women? He's got, by the way, at this point, he's got poster boards up behind him, uh, uh, images of each of these uh, judges and the nominees. Well, Judge Janice Rogers Brown was, if I'm, my memory serves correctly, I don't have any notes, I'm doing this from memory, was a Supreme Court justice in California who was nominated to the Ninth Circuit. Priscilla Owen was nominated to the Fifth Circuit. Now, in 2003, the Democrats in the United States Senate sought to stop, that is filibuster, stop their nominations. Their great crimes, they were conservative women. And in one case, a minority conservative woman. Those were their great crimes in 2003, ladies and gentlemen, and that is what your Democrats in the United States Senate did. Attacking them, tearing them down, blowing up the very process that people are talking about right now, the confirmation process, they attacked them. These two public servants, I met both of them, very kind and nice people, being ruthlessly attacked for simply being conservative women or a conservative minority woman. Can't have that. We can't have those dastardly Republicans appointing someone who doesn't fit the narrative by my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. But yet, 
That's precisely what happened in 2003. What have we seen since? We saw the complete horror show that was the Kavanaugh hearing two years ago, an utter disgrace by Senate Democrats. But I also remember the 2005 confirmation of Sam Alito. I also was there for the Roberts confirmation. Ask Justice Alito's lovely wife, Martha Ann, how she feels about the way her husband was treated, attacked, torn down, vilified through his confirmation proceedings by Senator Schumer. It was vitriolic. It wasn't just highlighting differences of views or judicial philosophy. It was targeting him personally and attacking. But that is the playbook that I have to suggest is the routine playbook for my colleagues on the other side of the aisle in the United States Senate. And of course, that wasn't the first time. We all know in 1987, there's a new verb in the lexicon of the confirmation process called borking, because Judge Bork was borked. They took down Judge Bork, and again, what was his great crime? He was a constitutional conservative. He was a constitutionalist. That was his great crime. It took a mere four years later for Justice Thomas, in his own words, to receive a high-tech lynching. Watch the video, ladies and gentlemen. It's on my Twitter feed. You can go find it, Google it. Go watch the great biopic. You can go find that on PBS. It's a great documentary on the life of Clarence Thomas, who was born in a relative poverty in Savannah, Georgia, was raised by his grandfather. Read his book, My Grandfather's Son. Uh, great PBS documentary, by the way. I just wanted to throw that in. My wife and I watched it. It was very good. A life overcoming many obstacles to end up at Yale and then to end up at the Supreme Court. And if you remember at his confirmation hearings, what did he say? He said this isn't worth it for the court. At the hearings, when he was being pilloried, his character assassinated. He said, you know what? The Supreme Court isn't worth it. But you know what was worth it? And the reason he came back and the reason he shoved it right back down the throats of those members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, including, by the way, Chairman Joe Biden, because it was his character. It was his name. The name that he had inherited and he'd had from his grandfather that loved him and raised him. It was his name. And he brought that Senate Judiciary Committee to its knees. And we should be grateful for it because he's been an excellent justice on the United States Supreme Court. And he did not deserve the attacks that he got. Let's talk about, to the left of Justice Thomas, Miguel Estrada. I need to point out, he's talking about the placement of the boards, the pictures behind him. He's not talking like Miguel Estrada is politically <laughs> to the left of Clarence Thomas. Anybody know that name? Remember that name? Yes. Miguel Estrada is a good human being. He's a good man. He was also a nominee in the Bush administration in 2003. During that same time that I was describing 
with Janice Rogers Brown and Priscilla Owen, and there were others. I think there were some 50 that were filibustered during that time. I can't remember. By the way, Miguel Estrada, uh, the, a couple years ago, there was a quote from him in the paper when uh, it was asked, uh, he was asked, uh, is there any, uh, does he have any uh, desire if he were to be nominated again for the Supreme Court? Is that something or, to, or any judgeship? Because he's out of the judgeship now. He's, uh, I think he's a private sector attorney. But uh, they asked him, you know, would you have any desire to become a judge again and go through this process again? And he said, he would not submit himself to any proceeding that would require him to be in the same room as Chuck Schumer. That's that's what Schumer did to that guy, Miguel Estrada. Do you know why Miguel Estrada was filibustered? Ultimately, he was stopped. A deal was cut, and Janice Rogers Brown and Priscilla Owen ended up on the bench. Miguel Estrada was not so fortunate. Miguel Estrada was targeted and stopped precisely because he is Hispanic. That is a known truth in Washington, D.C., but nobody talks about it. You know why? Because of concerns about how a leaked memo was found. It was a leaked memo that was found on a server. It's the stuff that would be great for ethics classes in law school or undergrad about what folders are open and who can look at them and who can see them. Mm -hmm. It's a reasonable debate. But the fact of the matter is, there was a memo by Senate Democratic leadership saying, we must stop him because he's an Hispanic. Ladies and gentlemen who are watching this, this is what is wrong with Washington, D.C. So ask yourself this, why would a political party its elected leaders, and so many of their voters, why would they oppose judges that apply the law as it's written, leaving issues to be resolved at the legislative level, which was intended by the Constitution? Why would a political party, its leaders, and its voters oppose judges that apply the law as written? It answers itself. Much like Old Grouch's military surplus, when you're thinking, I need some military surplus, boom, Old Grouch's military surplus, it answers itself. Um, winter is coming. They got a ton of warm weather gear, whether you are a hunter, an outdoorsman of sorts, or whether you work outside. You want some good quality, heavy-duty, uh, military-grade thermal underwear. You need some wool socks, field jackets, woolen fleece toboggans, uh, socks, and Gore-Tex jackets. They've got it all, and... At prices lower than a lot of outdoor stores are going to charge you. They also can help you put together an emergency kit for your car, so you're going to be prepared. Bad weather hits, you don't, you know, God forbid, you slide off the road or something. Uh, you're going to have some food. You get the space blanket in there to keep you warm. You've got uh, a shovel to dig out. They can help you put all that together and store it in a bag or an ammo can. These ammo cans are pretty cool gift ideas uh, for storage. They come in all sizes, and so uh, you can put them into dry storage you know, in the shed or the garage, uh, out on your boat or something, for rifles, fishing gear, uh, anywhere you need storage. Uh, go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Check out the stock. Also, tons of real U.S. military surplus, obviously, for more than three decades. Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com and tell them that you heard it here on the show. I appreciate that. So one of uh, Justice Barrett's uh, or Coney Barrett's first cases could very well be 
related to North Carolina. We really are the center of the political universe nowadays. It's very exciting. Um, So the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, uh, the other day upheld Wisconsin law requiring that absentee and mail-in ballots be received by Election Day. That was the law. Got to have the absentee ballots in by Election Day. The court, the Supreme Court, rejected a lower court attempt to extend that deadline. The decision came in an order denying a motion to vacate a prior Seventh Circuit stay of lower court, blah, blah, blah. Okay, point is, you had the lower courts, they were like, yeah, you can totally extend it, and the Supreme Court came in and said, no, you can't. Okay, why? So this is out of Wisconsin. I'm going to connect it to North Carolina, but for years, for years, I said, North Carolina is the new Wisconsin. When we saw, remember Scott Walker, the governor up there, and they had all of the protests in the legislative building and all of that? We started seeing the same thing here in North Carolina. I said, this is happening here now. So the stuff that's going on in Wisconsin, very similar to what's happening here. In fact, there are a lot of the same parties involved, right? The, the, the moneyed interests and such, the progressive organizations that go in and, uh, and agitate in these ways. This is their playbook. So the Wisconsin law was got to have them by Election Day. And the left said, no, 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 COVID can't do that. Got to, you know, have to be able to accept them for like a week later or something. So here was and the and the lower courts had ruled, yes, you can do that. The U.S. Supreme Court said, no, you actually can't in a four to three, sorry, five to three ruling. The majority opinion was written by Justice Gorsuch, joined by Kavanaugh, and Tim Tillerson at Legal Insurrection says that they mocked this argument that the six-day extension was necessary. Here's what they wrote. Quote, Why did the district court seek to scuttle such a long-settled tradition in this area? COVID. Because of the current pandemic, the court suggested, it was free to substitute its own election deadline for the states. Never mind that in response to the pandemic, the Wisconsin Elections Commission decided to mail all registered voters an absentee ballot application and return envelope over the summer, so nobody even had to ask for one. Never mind that voters have also been free to seek and return absentee ballots since September. Never mind that voters may return their ballots not only by mail, but also by bringing them to a county clerk's office or various no-touch drop boxes staged locally or certain polling places on Election Day itself. Never mind that those unable to vote on Election Day have still other options in Wisconsin, like voting in person during a two-week voting period before Election Day. And never mind that the court itself found the pandemic posed an insufficient threat to the health and safety of voters to justify revamping the state's in-person election procedures. So it's indisputable that Wisconsin has made considerable efforts to accommodate early voting and respond to COVID. The district court's only possible complaint is that the state hasn't done enough. But how much is enough? I can answer that for the justices. The answer is enough for Democrats to win. That's when it's enough. Now, maybe you are not doing enough for your website, but you don't know how. Then contact my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design, SchaeferSmith.com. 
Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you all with graphics and photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and find out, like you can look at his website, find out what, what he's able to provide your website, your business, because you probably know how to run your business, but probably not so good at running a website. Um, maybe you are. Maybe you can actually uh, identify some weak spots, though, by working with Schaefer, because great design can solve a lot of problems that websites have, even if you're not aware you've got some. SchaeferSmith.com. Get the most out of your website at SchaeferSmith.com. So Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh went on to say that the Constitution provides that state legislatures, not federal judges, not state judges, not state governors, not other state officials. No, it's the legislatures of the individual states. They bear primary responsibility for setting election rules. You're starting to maybe uh, catch a whiff of the North Carolina case here. Nothing in our founding document contemplates the kind of judicial intervention that took place here in Wisconsin, nor is there precedent for it in 230 years of this court's decisions. Okay, again... Back to my question that I asked moments ago. Ask yourself, why would a political party, its elected leaders, and many of their voters oppose judges that apply the law as written? In sum, Kavanaugh wrote, the district court's injunction was unwarranted for three alternative and independent reasons. Three reasons here. Number one, the district court changed the state election laws too close to the election. This is called the Purcell rule. We'll get to more of that in a minute. Uh, so that's the first thing. It was too close to the state's election. You're, you're running elections right now and you're changing rules. That's number one. Number two, it misapprehended the limited role of the federal courts in COVID-19 cases. And number three, it did not sufficiently appreciate the significance of election deadlines. Now, there was a dissent. Obviously, there were three uh, uh Justices still in the liberal block. You got Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer, and they dissented. They said that they dissented because, quote, the court's decision will disenfranchise large numbers of responsible voters in the midst of uh, hazardous pandemic conditions. Uh, Kagan said, as the COVID pandemic rages, the court has failed to adequately protect the nation's voters. Okay, uh, I'm not really sure why the court would be in charge of protecting the nation's voters, especially after the state legislatures have already done things to protect the state's voters. But I digress. Um, the facts, they say, as found by the district court, are clear. Tens of thousands of Wisconsinites, through no fault of their own, may receive their mail ballots too late to return them by Election Day. Without the district court's order, they must opt between braving the polls with all the risk that entails and losing their right to vote. Republican uh, and then the, the voters of Wisconsin deserve a better choice. Uh, so that was the dissent from the Supreme Court justices, the three liberals. Now, if any of this sounds kind of familiar, it's because it should be. The North Carolina case revolves around the same issue. Who gets to write our election law? And if you listen to Mark Elias, the super Democrat attorney who has represented basically every single Democrat and every single uh, election related court case in the last 20 years, uh, if you believe them, they believe the state board of elections should be able to rewrite law. That's all it takes. And 
as long as they get sued and then they enter into an agreement with the party that sued them, then they get to write the law. And the General Assembly in North Carolina says, no, that's not how this works. You don't get to write the law. We write the law. We're the legislature. It's kind of right there in the name, much like Growers Hemp. It's right in the name. Growers Hemp, CBD products. Okay, from the tinctures, uh, tinctures rather the uh, the drops, you know, or uh, they've got balms, they've got lozenges, uh, which are very tasty, I might say. But uh, I take the the drops on before I go to bed, and I put a little bit uh, under my tongue, and they dissolve, and I sleep deeper. That's why I use CBD. What are you looking for? Better quality of life, uh, immune system resilience, deeper sleep, lower tension. How about a balanced state of mind, a positive mental outlook? How about that? CBD oil, people take it for all sorts of reasons. I told you mine. We have testimonials that have come in from listeners to the show who have begun taking it as well. Uh, For example, Leslie said uh, she likes the taste, light berry flavor. It's not very overpowering, so that's a positive. And Carol Sue said she felt well-rested and did not toss and turn as much as she normally does. So uh, Growers Hemp, they're local farmers. Uh, North Carolina-based, and uh, they uh, built a model where they control the entire product from seed to shelf. That means higher quality, and it means lower prices. The best quality at a price that's affordable because they control the whole process called vertically integrated, okay? Growers Hemp, they maintain complete control, so you get the best for lower prices, all right? Growers Hemp, full-spectrum hemp extract. Add it to your daily routine, Look for their ad in R-State Magazine hitting newsstands now, and you can find it on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby as well, and you can go to their website, growershemp.com. And if you do that, enter in the promo code PETE, and you'll get 20% off. Growershemp.com. North Carolina farmers, from them to your home, Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp. It's not about the hype. So the collusive settlement between the North Carolina State Board of Elections, Executive Director Karen Brinson-Bell, and the Democratic Attorney Mark Elias, is heading now to the U.S. Supreme Court in what could very well be the first case that Amy Coney Barrett uh, presides in. She's not presiding over. If you're one of nine, I guess she would be presiding over it. Well, she's going to hear it. She's going to be on the court now to hear this case. Federal District Judge in North Carolina, Judge William Osteen, Jr., He issued conflicting rulings on the settlement a couple weeks ago. He struck down part of that collusive settlement that ended the witness signature requirement, uh, but only because the State Board of Elections tried to tie it to an August 4th ruling that he had made. So he also found that parts of the settlement, like extending the period after mail-in ballots are accepted, going from uh, three days to nine days, he said that that probably violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, but that his court should not reverse a state court's settlement. And in doing that, he inverted the Purcell Principle. The Purcell principle is that you don't mess with election law during an election or reasonably close to an election, that the wheels are in motion. Voters are going to get confused. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not ethical. It's it's just not a good idea to start monkeying around with the election rules while people are getting ready to vote or are already underway. Um the Purcell principal, Andy Jackson at Civitas, he, he says it discourages courts from changing election laws 
before or during an election. The U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled 12 to 3 to uphold Osteen's ruling. The Republican legislature in North Carolina is now appealing this ruling up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, there is also a little twist here. This is interesting, and um, uh, Andy Jackson uh, noticed this in the uh, in the court ruling. This 12 to 3 Court of Appeals ruling came only after there was a smaller court. You know, they do these like little three-judge panels. They break down the big court, and they you know have like these three-judge panels. They hear uh, uh, decisions themselves, and that's usually what happens, unless there's like some reason to go to the full Circuit Court of Appeals. Well, this one went to the full Circuit Court of Appeals. Why? Well, apparently, the smaller panel was going to rule in favor of the Republicans. It was going to go two to one. And so the the losing judge then went to the full court and said, hey, uh, hey, everybody, I'm about to lose this. Why don't we uh, take this up ourselves? And then they did. And it was noted in, in the dissent, one of the three judges that dissented, they said, finding that he had been outvoted, the dissenting judge immediately initiated an on-bank vote, on-bank, uh, that's what they call it when everybody is there. He initiated this process before the full court, um, before the smaller court, the three-judge panel, could even circulate its views to the entire court, let alone to the public. This departure from our traditional process strikes me as needlessly divisive. That's a, he said, you know, even considering the matter's time sensitivity, I'm saddened to see it, especially on a court that has taken such pride in its collegiality. So that's what they did. Once again, they're like, they were going to lose. And so what? They appealed up to the larger court. They're free to do, the judge was free to do so. It was not the norm, but the rules don't prohibit it. So they did, and Democrats win. So now the legislature appeals this to the U.S. Supreme Court. That same dissent from this Court of Appeals, though, laid out the strategy that Karen Brinson Bell, the North Carolina State Board of Elections Executive Director, uh, she comes from Western North Carolina, actually. She used to work out here. Um, in fact, she was one of the people that pushed to get, uh, remember, uh, Bill Murdoch, the uh, the guy who ran the charity, Eblin's Charity um yeah, she she was she was one of the people that got him ousted from that position. Anyway, Karen Brinson Bell um, and Mark Elias, the Democrat super attorney. OK, here's the strategy. This is what the judge outlined in the dissent. Quote, let's understand the strategy being deployed here. The status quo is that election law enacted by the North Carolina General Assembly. That's the status quo. OK, the Constitution grants state legislatures this power. Principles of democratic accountability reinforce it. The fair notice to all voters of election ground rules well in advance of election day command it. Okay, this is the status quo. This is how it's always been done. Constitution says states set the rules. Legislature sets the rules. Everybody knows what the rules are. Everybody votes under those rules. That's the norm. Then along come the disruptive efforts of federal courts, or in this case, a state election board to upend the set rules right in the middle of an election. The disruptors then hail their action as the new status quo, which is, the irony of this is rich, claimed to be beyond any power of disturbance. It takes see so what they do is like, oh, we have this consent agreement. You can't blow up our consent agreement because that would be, you know, against the Purcell doctrine or a Purcell principle. This would be, you know, confusing to the voters. Well, isn't your consent agreement confusing to the voters? You guys just blew it up. No, no, no. Ours wasn't 
confusing. Yours will be confusing. Your attempt to go back to the way it was would be confusing. The judge goes on to say, quote, it takes no special genius to know what this insidious formula is producing. Our country is now plagued by a proliferation of pre-election litigation that creates confusion and turmoil, and that threatens to undermine public confidence in the federal courts, state agencies, and the elections themselves. This is the case now that's going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, speaking of going places, if you are thinking about moving, you need a real estate agent to sell your house. That real estate agent needs to be Rowena Patton. Okay, I mean, uh, unless you want to, like, you know, get less money and spend way more time with your house on the market, because that's not how Rowena rolls. How Rowena rolls is, you know, get the house sold fast, get more money for you so you can start the next chapter of your life. Give her a call at 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. Put her to work for you. She and her all-star powerhouse team, she outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She's the only agent I would call if I'm selling a house. She is the only agent we called when we started buying our house. Do what I did. Call Roe and her all-star powerhouse team. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. Now, another development occurred over the last couple of days here. A Houston-based group that focuses on election integrity It's now gotten involved. It's throwing its support uh, behind the North Carolina lawmakers. Uh, It's called True the Vote. They filed paperwork to be what they call, you know, friend of the court brief, an amicus brief or amicus brief. Um, One of the two cases that have now been submitted by emergency appeal to U.S. Chief Justice John Roberts. Quote, to date, there have been 411 COVID-19 related election law cases nationwide, according to True the Votes Brief. Is that amazing? 411 cases related to election laws and COVID-19. That's that's almost 10 per state. Now, North Carolina has a lot. North Carolina had way more than 10, I think. Um, Why do you think this is? What do you think this is some sort of organized campaign? I just asked the question, quote, this chaotic flood arises primarily from failure to follow the mandate that only legislatures have the authority and expertise to prescribe the manner of elections involving federal candidates. By providing guidance in this case, this chaotic flood of litigation can be abated and order and the rule of law restored to our elections. In the two North Carolina cases, Republican state legit there. Okay, so just technically, there are two different cases, but it's the same issue, state, federal. Anyway, um, the two cases: Republican state legislative leaders, along with President Trump's re-election campaign, the RNC, and individual voters, are seeking to block election rules that contradict state election law. Carolina Journal reports that the major issue involves whether election officials can count mail-in absentee ballots uh, that arrive between November 7th and November 12th, because state law says you shouldn't be able to count them past November 6th. Basically, do you allow for three days, as is the law, or do you allow for nine days? The state law says three days after election. So you can mail your absentee ballot by election day, three days, it'll get there. And if it comes in after three days, it doesn't count. Okay. Now, what the settlement agreement between the Democratic uh, 
lawyer and his Democratic-affiliated group and the Democratic-run Board of Elections, signed off on by the Democratic Attorney General, what they said was, no, 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 we should push it out for nine days. That would be fair because of COVID. Okay, The extension of the deadline stems from this controversial legal settlement in a state court and involved the parties that I just mentioned, the Republican plaintiffs who were not included in that settlement agreement, in that consent agreement, the GOP legislature, they were named defendants in the case and they were not included in that consent agreement. So they settled. And by the way, Josh Stein, uh, the attorney general, he's done this before. Roy Cooper did this before. This is how they act. They cut out the legislature, even though they're participants in the case. So the Republican plaintiffs have been trying to block this extended deadline. They say the elections board has no legal authority to change state law to enable this extension. This is pretty clear, by the way. This is what is so baffling to me. This is obviously clear that they do not have the authority to do this. This is an unauthorized attempt to an unauthorized attempt to rewrite election law. They said this case presents the unique opportunity to abate the chaotic flood of near election litigation that's inundating this court and our republic. Um, They said in doing so, we suggest that this court take the opportunity to provide guidance regarding the flawed constitutional analysis employed by lower courts. Uh, The plaintiffs argue that the Democrat dominated state elections board is implementing an insidious formula to replace state law with its own policy preferences. That is obviously the case. Now, true the votes on one side, they filed Friends of the Court uh, amicus briefs. On the other side, you've got left-wing activist groups like Dem- uh, Democracy North Carolina, you got the League of Women Voters, as well as other plaintiffs in an earlier election lawsuit. They're all urging the Supreme Court to reject an injunction. 14 Democratic state attorneys general, as well as the attorney general for the District of Columbia, have all filed a joint brief as well. So they also oppose a Supreme Court injunction. So once again, ask yourself, why is a political party, its elected leaders, and so many of its voters opposed to judges that apply the law as written? It's a brain buster. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a positive review, and consider becoming a patron of the program. You can get uh, cool stuff, exclusive content. It's all at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.